It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it's only something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen got no pizza. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Next fire in the fire, the system of the gangs, the government for hire in the combat site. But it wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury's getting down your neck. The border trap is some the ground with that low plane flying and up for overflow, but in the corner to put in a little secret devil, secret devil world in your own knees. See your heart, tell me the surrender in the river of the right. You patriotic, patriotic, plan might right, might feel it in British life. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. And the happy Nurse Amy. That would be two figures that are sort of mysterious. It's mysterious to me why you're happy today. I'm Anything happy every exciting? Day. You're happy every day? I'm happy every day. All but right. I did get to take a mini vacation, which sometimes is just, it's good to get some fresh air through your ears. Oh, wait, no, that would mean I was empty-headed. <laughs> <laughs> Through your hair. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We went to visit our good friend. I did that on purpose, by the yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> I know. You did. I know. Yes, we did. Where were we, honey? We were in Sanibel Island, Florida, where there's a lot of seashells and a nice breeze. And our good friends, Jack and Dorothy Spearco. Jack is the granddaddy of all survival podcasters. Uh, the survival podcast, actually, is his <laughs> podcast. And he's been doing this five days a week for, gosh, I don't know how long. Oh, my gosh. More Except than a decade. on vacation. Right. He gives Dorothy a break, so he spends time with her. And you guys went fishing. Yes, that's right. And Jack got a huge 20-pound snook, and we caught uh, a bunch of mangrove snapper and all sorts of catfish and all sorts of other and fishing and little sharks that uh, Jack loves to fish for. <laughs> he does. He does. And what did we do with the snapper? Well, we ate them, and they were delicious. We had it for dinner, didn't delish. we? Delish. Oh, so good. That's right. Well, it's nice to actually catch your dinner and eat it within a few hours. I mean, well, how fresh? Is, how much fresher can you get unless you ate sushi on the boat? It's good <laughs> right? for the eater, but not for the E.T. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's right. Well, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a scintilla of sentience. In an insouciant world. Insouciant. All right. Now, what does insouciant mean? Insouciant means that you are indifferent. You show a lack of concern. Well, you showed a lack of concern towards your snapper's well-being. That's right. (laughs) But they were delicious. Well, I'm Joe Alden-MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton, also known as Nurse Amy. I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And together we are the beauty and the beast. 
guess which is which. The queen <laughs> and the codger, guess which is which. And the geezer and the goddess, I which think, is which. I think you're the beauty. Oh, well, thank you. And That's I think true. you're the goddess. And we, together, are here to help the faithful few keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a vituperative viper? Well, that actually is our word for the day that wow. I wanted to define. Well, maybe it was vituperative. That is bitter and abusive. That's what vituperative means because you stuck your hand in its woodpile. <laughs> anyway, here is our disclaimer. Absolutely all information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. That's right, but there are times. There are times, I say, Uh when you're going to have to show the world that you have more sense than a box of bananas and get the training and education you need, medical training and education, and while you're at it, how about a quality medical kit as well? You need that. So there's no better place, I say, to get that quality medical kit than Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. Shameless plug. Compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff. You will agree our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage. And if you want more proof, check out our testimonials page at store.doomandbloom.net. See what folks just like you have to say about our kits and service. On top of all that, our kits are approved for your help or flexible savings accounts. Just look at our special HSA FSA section in the store. And don't forget to subscribe to our website at doomandbloom.net to get special coupons and special discounts and all sorts of good information in our newsletters. Yes. That's right. You'll and be... also links to our recent videos That's that right. we do. Yeah, you'll be glad you got you did that. That's for sure. I have a long list of some videos I want to do. Oh, I just great. added three more to my list. And you're going to do them? Wow. You're going to be in front of the camera and show I am. everybody your pretty face? How to choose tourniquets, how to apply steri strips, how to put on an Israeli bandage. I've got myself such a list. I must have 12 videos I want to do. You are the bomb. You've been Education. doing a lot of videos lately. I think we have one to put up, as a matter of fact. And you know what else I need to do? I need to do just a simple, quick how to stop bleeding. And I, that's, but we've done sounds that, impossible. We? We've done that a couple no, I've times. actually shown it. Mm-hmm. I've talked about our bleeding kit, which is in the Mylar bag, and I've talked about all the components and why they're in there and how you use them and what you do to stop bleeding. But it's in three parts. And then the third part is actually the demonstration where you had the fake wound. Uh-huh. It was like an active shooter scene. And I came on just sort of as a, you know, happened upon you, injured, and had to take care of you. But I don't talk throughout it, and I don't explain what I'm doing. I just show you what I'm doing. What I'd like to do um, is a little bit of a demonstration, a quick demonstration, and a quick, this is what you need to do to stop bleeding. Because I... Literally, and you and I could both talk for hours on bleeding. (laughs) I was going to say a couple hours, but no, I know we've done a webinar. Unfortunately, the video was not that great. And we did that free webinar on Stop the Bleed Day. Right, sure. Well, we could always put up another webinar. We had to limit what we were saying and try to speed up. In two hours. Do you remember that? Yeah, that wasn't easy. We thought, oh, we were going to get this done in 45 minutes. Nope. (laughs) 
two hours later, we're like, okay, is there any questions out there? And the people who stayed with us, thank you guys so much. We really, really do appreciate all of you that are listening right now who have listened in the past and who will listen in the future. We really appreciate it. I know sometimes I've seen a a couple of comments with people who don't know us and know why we're talking to you like you're our friends and our family um, and said, oh, they talk about their lives too much. But I do that because I want you to know who we are. What, What did we do this week? I'm not doing it because I think you care about what I have for breakfast, you know, or or what my latest adventure is. It's because I want you guys to know that we're like neighbors and, and like I said, friends and family, yep. and that we care about you, and we're sharing a little bit of ourselves with you because we think you might care. And so I guess the people who don't want to listen, you know, just want to hear stuff. And we, we have lots of stuff. We have lots of we education. We have lots of stuff that we're going to be talking about. You could fast forward through this Pretty if cool. you wanted to. <laughs> Pretty cool stuff we're going to talk about. But you know what? I wanted to start today with a question that I'm getting from a lot of my fellow podcasters and survival website creators. And that question is a very serious one. And that is, is prepping dead? As we go further into Donald Trump's presidential term, there are many citizens that were previously interested in preparedness. They seem to have dropped off the map. A number of popular websites and supply stores have become inactive, just ain't around anymore. Speaking of which, uh-huh. um, I was in the back of our website, the doomandbloom.net website, uh-huh. and there's a list of broken links. Well, probably five of them are broken links because the websites that we had listed on our blog roll no longer exist. Oh. So just five of them. I That's think one update. of them was the, the I forget. Okay, well, I'll work anyway, on, I'll work on that later. I did take one of them off already, but yeah, so it's just proof of exactly what you're saying. Yeah, there are quite a few websites issues. Websites are just stopping. And the question is, why is this happening? I mean, is it purely a... Donald Trump thing, which is what people have suggested to me. I'm guessing that one thing is that there is generally good news about the economy, and that I think has caused many people to breathe a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. And that could be perhaps the reason because economic collapse wasn't that a common concern among preppers. Maybe the folks that were in it because they were concerned about that, maybe not so much anymore. Yet it still seems that not much else besides that has changed. I mean, sometimes things aren't better but worse. There are natural disasters that are occurring as often as always. There have been floods, tornadoes, wildfires seem to be even worse. I have even longer wildfire seasons these days. Heat waves, gosh, it was 95 degrees down here in South Florida, and usually 92 is as high as it gets here. Uh, Hurricanes, blizzards, gosh, all of these things continue to kill people who are foolhardy or just plain not prepared. And those are just the natural disasters. There are plenty of man-made ones as well. There are still shooter events, that caused multiple casualties, and having, I'll tell you, a medical kit on the scene would probably still be a pretty good idea in that circumstance. And forget about shooters. How about the possibility of coming across just a multiple car accident, you know, a multiple vehicle accident, MBA, as they say. If you had a tourniquet in the glove compartment, wouldn't it make sense to actually know how to use it? And is it that we've just decided to drive on by even if some rapid action by a good Samaritan might save a life, is that where we're at? Right. Is that we're just going to drive by and that's it? And is the world a safer place today? Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. We've got plenty of people out there that hate us as Americans. Americans themselves seem to have lost their identity as well. 
breaking up into tribes of with their own opinions about the right way to look at the rest of the country's citizens. If you look at the news cable channels, it appears that half of the country, well, they might hate the other half. And that anger to me seems that it has gotten out of control. I mean, how we got this way, is a ma- that's a matter of discussion, but not one I care to put on a medical podcast. I'm sure you have your own feelings on the matter, matter out there, but the question remains, is prepping dead? For the time being, I think that it's sort of dormant. I would say not dead, but sort of dormant. There are still plenty of survival sites out there, and I keep getting put on more and more survival-themed groups Groups on Facebook. How many? Probably a couple, 250 or, oh, yeah, I think so. or more uh, on Facebook, and keep adding subscribers and followers there and on other social media, maybe a little slower than before, but uh, still, still growing, uh, that group of people. It's not time to throw away your wilderness gear and your long-term food supplies or to stop learning stop learning new skills that might help increase your chances of weathering that next storm or next existential crisis. <laughs> or even perhaps the next election. The last prepper collapse was probably after the Y2K event. Well, maybe I should call it a non-event. Uh, but that was a one-time thing, I mean, like the Mayan calendar apocalypse. Uh, the disasters that we are prepping for and that we talk about can still happen. They do on a regular basis. I don't want you guys out there to give in to normalcy bias. That's where you discount the possibility of a disaster happening because, well, it hasn't happened yet. So why would it ever happen? That kind of thinking doesn't help a lot of people who are maybe going to become casualties in the many natural and man-made disasters that may happen in the near future. And there are people that won't survive those because they didn't take steps to decrease their chances of being a victim. And I don't want that to be you. It's more important now more than ever to know things like basic first aid, whether it's how to deal with an injury or on a camping trip or or in an active shooter event. It's always smart to keep learning, get training, not just to deal with medical issues, yep. but pretty much, pretty much everything. I'm really old, but I'm not too old to learn something new. And I'll keep learning as long as I can possibly be of help to my community if a disaster hits us. And I think that's a good philosophy to have in troubled times, and I hope you think so too. Things are just not... One thing I just want to say is things are not becoming more stable politically either if you're... In the group of folks that breathed a sigh of relief when Donald Trump was elected, you have to remember that the country is under cyber attack from foreign players. And domestically, well, you know, the current administration is pretty much under constant attack and it's gotten ugly. doesn't matter who you think is to blame, but political disagreements and a populist at war with itself, a house divided cannot stand. Well, you know what? All of this sometimes leads to violence. And you might know when, you might not know when you could be in the middle of it, and it's important to know how to take care of yourself and others who may be hurt. You are not immune out there. It can happen to you, and you should always be ready. The Boy Scouts, uh, now I think they're called the Scouts USA, their motto is to be prepared. It's a good motto, and it's 100 years old or more, but whether it's 100 years old or now or 100 years from now, it's always important to be prepared. Hey, you know, public support for the legislation of both medical and recreational marijuana is at an all-time ha-ha-ha high. Yes, I know. <laughs> hey, that was my idea yes, for the you name. Yes, thought that was very funny. <laughs> Many believe that but the... What, what? But one thing is, 
it doesn't make you high. I just want to yeah. be clear with that. Well, we're going to talk about that right now. Right. Many <laughs> believe that the effects of products made from the cannabis sativa plant or marijuana plant are all what they call psychoactive. In other words, they alter your mental status. But studies suggest there are some substances in cannabis plants that have little or no psychoactive action at all, but might have other medicinal benefits. And the one making the most news is cannabidiol, and that is also known as CBD. I'm going to call it CBD, but it's cannabidiol. Often, it's marketed as an essential oil. You'll see that, and it's been touted on the Internet as a cure for just about, gosh, anything you can imagine. Mm-hmm. A huge number of claims from a equally huge number of manufacturers leaves the average citizen dazed and confused when people are trying to shove them, shove all these different vials and bottles of CBD oil uh, yes. right at them and, and down their throat. But why do you need that or why would you consider it? What is cannabidiol or what is CBD? Well, it's one of over 100 chemical compounds that are called cannabidinoids. <laughs> actually, did I pronounce that right? Cannabinoids. Cannabinoids, actually. Yes, that's good. In the cannabis plant and certain other plants, by the way, uh, that indeed are very, very possible to find not only in plants, but also in human beings. Some cannabinoids bind with cell structures in the body that are known as receptors. These cause physical effects. And one of them, THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, binds with a receptor that's responsible for the high that's experienced by people who use marijuana recreationally. And the funny thing is that humans actually produce some of their own cannabinoids as well. The way that CBD works isn't really very well understood, but it has enough promise that a U.S. Food and Drug Administration panel actually recommended approving the CBD medication Epidiolex for two rare types of epilepsy in children. It seems that it actually decreases the chances of their getting epilepsy, and these are kids, poor kids, that may have 50 epilepsy epileptic seizures a day, just terrible stuff, and it hopefully is going to give them some kind of relief. The FDA panel recommendation is, I mean, it's. I mention it because it's the first official federal action to approve a natural cannabis product in the United States. Previously, the FDA did approve THC, the psychoactive form, in synthetic form, actually produced synthetically, as an anti-nausea agent that's used in people that have that are on chemotherapy and on some other who have some other medical issues. There is some potential being reported for the use of CBD in multiple sclerosis, actually being used in more than 20 other countries along with standard therapies to help people. If they use it in a nasal spray, that spray is called Sativex, and that contains both THC and CBD, and it's thought to be effective for pain, muscle tightness, and urinary frequency that people with multiple sclerosis may suffer from. Now, this product, don't look for this product at your pharmacy. It's not yet approved in the United States, but it wouldn't surprise me if it wasn't sometime in the next year or so. CBD use is also suggested oftentimes, again, with other treatments, as standard treatments, for pain management, for anxiety, for movement disorders, uh, nerve disorders, neurological problems, Schizophrenia, actually, is thought to help people and, and decrease the effects of that, and various other conditions. Matter so many 
conditions are thought to be improved by the CBD. If you read the internet, if you go on the internet, as a matter of fact, that it's being touted by some companies as a cure for just about everything. I saw one website that had an article on it mm-hmm. that said that it was it killed cancer cells, oh. that it uh, helped kids with autism, that it helped you stop smoking, that it was good for well, just about anxiety. Ev- yeah, just and, about everything I mean, yes, under the sun. Anything that anyone has. So what they do is they take a bag of problems that a lot of people have, and they throw that out and they say this helps this, but this is no different at this point without all the research and with things that are contaminated and might not have exactly what it says. And I know you're going to talk about that in a minute, but you can't just make a long list of something that it it helps everything. There's no scientific proof yet. There is some, and I know you're going to discuss that, but we don't know exactly what this does or doesn't do yet. Right. So you can't say that. Some companies People are telling... People might not pursue their um, chemotherapy or whatever treatment it is or a surgery that might actually save their lives because, oh, well, this brochure said that this cured my cancer. This is terrible. It is really, uh, there is no cure-all out there, guys. A cure-all, otherwise known as a panacea, panacea, panacea is not something that exists in this universe, okay? There's nothing that cures everything, and the same thing can be said about CBD. Now, despite that, it is an incredible craze. Even mainstream stores like Kroger's has announced that it's going to be selling CBD products in the near future, so... It's going to be everywhere, and there are problems with that. I'm going to talk about that. And I want to say out there there are studies in some cases that might support using CBD for one medical issue or another. I'm not saying that it may not be helpful for a number of things, but it's not enough to be. But so far, a lot of the studies, besides these kids with epilepsy, there are a couple of rare forms of epilepsy that it is approved for, is so far the U.S. does not consider sufficient proof of benefit for anything else to be considered an official recommendation or an official action by the Food and Drug Administration. As a matter of fact, some companies have run afoul of the FDA for making unfounded claims about what they're saying their CBD oil can do. The possibilities, however, are serving as the driving force for a number of ongoing studies, and hey, isn't that the important thing is that we keep studying exactly. things. Exactly. We learn more. We might find amazing things that this works for. And they might be able to regulate how much and how many milligrams are in a capsule or or in a bottle or in a dropper, a drop per drop, which would be great because once you know a dosage and they can test that dosage clearly and, and knowing it's that much in a the amount that they're using, they can possibly find things that it does work for. Nobody's saying it it doesn't work for anything. I bet it does help with things. You know, some people swear by it with anxiety, and some people say it helps them sleep. I mean, there's all kinds of anecdotal uh, information out there, and that's great. Maybe it's just... Working like a sugar pill. (laughs) Or maybe it does help them some way. Maybe there's something wrong with their system that this particular oil works well for them and helps them get over that issue. 
we need more studies. We need more testing. Um, I hope that there are companies out there that are sponsoring that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know that there's big drug companies that are into this, and they're the ones with the big bang bucks <laughs> that usually get these studies done. Uh, hopefully, there are some sponsored studies, you know, that maybe a, a company that's got a lot of money will sponsor something that might not make them billions of bucks. We'll see. But we're not saying it won't work for some things. We're just saying it. there is nothing that works for everything. Right. There's just, There's insufficient, just insufficient data to prove one th one way or another for a lot of the reasons that people are recommending CBD oil. Now, every treatment, even natural, you have to realize, has its advantages and its disadvantages. And cannabidiol of CBD is no different. Its use may cause things like diarrhea, drowsiness, dizziness, low blood pressure, uh, abnormal liver function tests in, in, I think, 3% or something like that. And, and other problems. Now, there was a study on people with Parkinson's disease. They thought that they might improve the condition with CBD oil, actually worsened the tremors these people were suffering with Parkinson's. It isn't all, the, uh, by the way, considered safe in pregnancy as well. I think that's mostly because they just don't have studies that prove it one way or another. Now, I want to talk a little bit about hemp and marijuana. Okay, marijuana growers have worked for decades to develop strains with the highest THC psychoactive levels available so as to give their customers the best high. Now that extraction of CBD is in vogue, these same farmers are beginning to cultivate plants that have high CBD levels, not high THC, low THC and high CBD levels. And the source is usually hemp. Hemp is grown specifically for its ease of cultivation and ability to be turned into usable fiber. It's been part of the textile market, market for thousands of years. And in addition, commercial products such as clothing, paper, insulation, plastics, paints, got so much stuff. Even certain foods can be manufactured from industrial hemp. But now it's considered to be an excellent source as well of CBD. And many people are confused. They think that marijuana and hemp are the same. Now, they are the same species indeed, but they're different strains. The CBD products that are made from hemp or industrial hemp allow users to stay mentally with it while experiencing the possible medical benefits. Now, there are colorful, very colorfully named psychoactive marijuana strains, purple haze and all that kind of stuff, that, well... Not so much in terms of keeping you mentally with it, but they are legal to use and they have specific medicinal reasons that they are used and it's legal in more than 30 states. And of course, as you can imagine, it's probably even harder to regulate the use of CBD oil as opposed to something that indeed makes you physically high and mentally high. So CBD can be added to various products that you smoke or spray or you eat or even apply as I've seen it as a cream and an ointment. The most popular seem to be extracts that they call CBD oil. Food and drink, they also have that. They have little bits of uh, little amounts of CBD. They're generally regarded as safe by the FDA, so there's probably no problem taking it if they have if it has some CBD in it or eating it if, or drinking it if it has some CBD. But despite all this, remember that legality for this thing varies from state to state. You should know 
what your state's laws are. It's legal in some uh, states, by the way, where marijuana isn't. So the, the THC isn't. As with any essential oil, CBD oil, well, the effects vary greatly with the strain of cannabis use, with the climate conditions that it's grown under, uh, how they extract the oil from the plants, and other factors as well. I mean, the issue is that there's just a lack of testing and standards that regard the quality of the product itself, and that causes well, reliability issues with CBD products in terms of their effects. There's an addiction expert uh, named Dr. Uh, Diana Martinez of Columbia University, professor of psychiatry. I saw an interview on Medscape, which is one of the, my medical websites, and she believes that dosing of CBD products, you may want to know how much do I take, she says it's still largely unknown, but that for anxiety, 300 to 600 milligrams is thought to be effective if you're otherwise healthy. Matter of fact, they have some of the, these kids with epilepsy, epilepsy, they're taking 1,000 milligrams in addition to anti-seizure drugs. Now, the thing with CBD is that there are some unscrupulous companies out there, and they get around rules and regulations by claiming that it's a hemp product, it's part of the hemp market, and hemp is essentially an unregulated product in the United States, so pretty much Anyone willing to call a product hemp seed oil, for example, or something similar, are, is going to get sales without the item necessarily having any CBD at all. And that is the problem. You don't know how much CBD you get or if you're getting any at all. So right. One study, the dosage. You don't one, know. One study showed that 7 out of 10 products that were evaluated and tested right. were found to have not anywhere near the amount of extract in the product that was advertised. This is concerning me because if you think you're taking X milligrams, what's recommended? I think I, I saw you write 400. Well, Dr. Martinez suggests that you should take, if you're taking if you're taking it for anxiety, 300 to 600 milligrams was suggested to be an effective dose for anxiety in healthy individuals. Okay. So let's do the one in between, 400 or, or 500. Let's say you expect to take that, but you end up getting 100 milligrams or none at all. Let's say some of these are just filled with olive oil. You don't really know what's in it unless you have some laboratory in your house that tests for ingredients in drugs. There's no way to trust this. What if they're contaminated with something else? What if they just Replace the oil again with coconut oil or olive a oil. A carrier oil. So, yes, and it um, could be mostly a carrier oil. I'll bet it is in most circumstances. So basically what you've got is a real quandary as to where do I get this stuff. And Dr. Martinez suggests that if she were to buy CBD, she would go to websites of companies that freely post something called the Certificate of Analysis. That lists the amount of CBD contained in their products in addition to possible contaminants. And you should have a company that has a certificate on that is from an outside laboratory, not something they manufactured themselves and just made up, and something that's updated on a very regular basis. Remember, these plant products are going to depend on climate conditions, uh, how they were harvested, what parts of the plant were used, things like that. And so it's very important that it should be a relatively recent uh, certificate of analysis if you're going to depend on what it's got in it. 
I have to tell everybody out there with regards to CBD oil, lots of potential, but until there's a regulatory system in place to verify each brand of oil's content and safety, just seems to me that consumers are just not going to have any guarantee about what they're getting. There are going to be false products out there. There was one in Utah where some synthetic versions of CBD and some supplements actually got people sick. So having it act as a sugar pill is the least bad thing that can happen. You could actually have something that's toxic in there that could get you sick and you may wind up having to seek medical care. So CBD, one of the many natural products that could become useful tools in the medical woodshed. Hey, you know what? In times of trouble, if you're off the grid, this is weed, right? And weed, honestly, grows like a weed. It's easy to easy to cultivate. It's not going to be a big issue about having it grow. But we really need to know more data. As more data is produced, there's going to be a clearer picture as to whether cannabidiol lives up to its potential. And in the meantime, I want you to do your own research out there and discuss it maybe with a qualified medical professional that you know and trust. Hey, whether you are a hiker or a camper or a survivalist, you're going to be spending a lot of time in the great outdoors. Now, during your off-grid adventures, you're going to be exposed to all sorts of critters that want a piece of you. Watch an episode of Naked and Afraid, and you will see what I mean. And one of these is the lowly tick. It's a uh, tick is like, well, we call it an insect, but it's actually an arachnid. And it's got eight legs, not six legs. And it looks, I guess, is more like a spider than than anything else. And it exists in all sorts of different species throughout the United States. Now, these ticks latch onto the skin of a host for a meal of blood, and they transmit various disease-causing microbes. Well, disease-causing microbes are called pathogens to humans and animals through their infected saliva. These diseases include the very famous, well-known Lyme disease, but a bunch of other ones that you don't know probably much about, babesiosis, anaplasmosis, tularemia, Rocky Mountain Spotted, Mountain Spotted Fever, you might have heard of that one, ehrlichosis, and, and others. But we're going to talk a little bit about Lyme disease today. Lyme disease is caused by a corkscrew-shaped bacterium called Borrelia burgdorferi, and it is commonly transmitted by the tiny, tiny black-legged tick known as the deer tick. Now, experts are expecting more and more cases of Lyme disease because we've had relatively mild winters and bumper crops of acorns. And what acorn crops do when they're good, they increase the population of animals that ticks like to feed on. These include mice, a favorite of baby ticks, and deer, which are the popular targets for adults. Because of the abundance of host animals, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, are estimating hundreds of thousands of cases of Lyme disease this summer. And that's probably triple the number that were reported about 20 years ago. Now, in case you're wondering, Lyme disease doesn't have anything to do with Lyme. It's L-Y-M-E. It was first diagnosed in the town of Old Lyme, Connecticut in 1975. But since then, Lyme has become the most common tick-borne illness in the United States. And these ticks are not easy to see. If I had a tick on my hand, on my fingertip, it would be, if it was just a, a juvenile, also called a nymph, it would be tiny. It would take up just a tiny bit of the, the square footage 
on the tip of my finger. Even an adult would, and a and larva is even smaller. I'm not sure that I could even see that without my glasses. Honestly, if I didn't have my glasses on and I was looking at your finger, I don't think I would see that. Right, and they're also... You better wear your glasses, folks, if you have trouble seeing up close. <laughs> and if, you're, if you have dark skin, too, they, they're sort of brown and they're... They're sort of tannish when they're young, and they're they're sort of brown when they're uh, an adult. So they could blend in with a freckle too. They could easily, yeah, easily Think about could it. confuse them with with something like a freckle. Mm-hmm. So for a larva to develop into a nymph or a, a juvenile, or for a ju- juvenile a nymph to develop into an adult, it needs to take in some blood. It appears that the nymphs, the juveniles, are the ones that actually cause the most cases of Lyme. And the CDC estimates that about 30% carry the disease. Uh, 30% of all ticks? Wow. 30% of all ticks actually carry the disease in the Northeast and the Upper Midwest. That's incredible. Now, to pass along Borrelia burgdorferi to (laughs) an animal or human, ticks must first find their host. And they do this in a number of ways. They detect smells. They sense body heat. They feel vibrations with movement. They usually hang on grasses and bushes and they... So they actually hold on with their back legs to the edge of a, of a blade of grass or, or a leaf, and they will grab passerbys with their front pair of legs, and when the or pairs of legs, I guess. When the tick finds a favorable place to feed, its mouth parts will then pierce the skin and start extracting blood. And Basically, what you got to do if you're going to be outside, you got to when you get inside, you got to thoroughly examine the entire body, your yep. entire body for ticks. That and it should be done within two hours of returning after a day outdoors. And this is most easily accomplished by maybe taking a shower. You would look behind your knees and your armpits, behind the ears, even the belly button. It is important to do that. Now, if you find a tick, it might be possible to just brush it off before it bites you. That if as long as it hasn't bitten you yet, I don't want you to brush it off. It is if you know that its mouth is inside your skin. If that doesn't work, there are a number of commercial products that are available to remove them. They're usually marketed as tick removers, and they're they're fine. And some are pretty cleverly designed, but it's perfectly fine to simply use a fine tip tweezers to grasp it as close to the skin surface as possible, and then pull straight up in an even manner. Don't twist. Don't jerk. If, as you pull, because that may cause the mouth parts to remain in the skin. If the mouth parts remain in the skin, that means it still might pass the bacteria into your body. And that you definitely don't want that transmitted into your body. You want to thoroughly clean the wound area with some rubbing alcohol, apply some antibiotic ointment. You want to wash your hands afterwards. And as an added precaution, I would launder my clothing in hot water, dry it in high heat. If all of this is done soon after the bite occurs, it's very, very unlikely you're going to develop Lyme disease. Now, you need to know how to recognize Lyme disease because maybe the bite may go unnoticed or maybe it was one of the kids and you didn't give them a good look-see after they came in from playing outside. Uh, Certainly, being with animals will do it too. The dogs obviously are a popular tick target. So, once a bacteria are passed on to the host by the tick. By the way, that's a process that takes about 24 to 48 hours. So I don't want you to despair if you don't find the tick until the next morning. It still may not have passed the bacteria into your system. Now, if you have the bacteria, the symptoms do become apparent about 
well, at least three days, maybe even as late as a month afterwards. And what you'll see is usually a rash. Uh, that's about 70% of patients. And it shows up pretty early, right around the area where you were bit, right at the site where the bite occurred. And you, then you start getting fever and chills, muscle aches, fatigue, and you might notice some joint pain. Now, the rash oftentimes looks a certain way, and it has a red circular bullseye pattern. It starts off as, as a red dot where the bite was, but as time, days go by, there's almost like a little circle that forms around it and spreads out over the skin over time. It looks like, indeed, a bullseye of a target. And they call that erythema migrans. In other words, redness that migrates. Now, that may be enough to confirm the diagnosis of Lyme disease right there. Of course, you want to be checked out by a medical professional at that point, if, if it's at all possible. Lyme disease, unfortunately, can be missed by even a medical professional if the symptoms are mild or if you or your doctor miss the site where the bite occurred. Now, when a bite from a black-legged tick is newly identified, what they'll do is they'll usually try to give you preventive antibiotics may prevent Lyme disease, a single dose of two 100 milligram doxycycline tablets or uh, bird biotic is a veterinary equivalent, may suffice for early infection as evidenced by the presence of erythema migrans, remember the bullseye rash, rapid treatment usually results in a cure. Symptoms, however, oftentimes last for a while after the treatment, even after the treatment is done for a while. So doxycycline, 100 milligrams, twice a day for maybe 14 to 28 days. That's a good idea in these circumstances. In kids, they have to be over eight years old. You would take four milligram, you would give four milligrams per kilogram. That's 2.2 pounds. A kilogram is 2.2 pounds twice a day for maybe 14 to 28 days as well, but maximum, never go above the adult dose, 100 milligrams. Now, avoid doxycycline, by the way, in pregnant or breastfeeding women. In these people you might consider amoxicillin which can be used during pregnancy and breastfeeding or the veterinary equivalent for that is called fish mox you've heard me talk about it a million times can be used in pregnant or breastfeeding women uh, dosages would be 500 milligrams three times a day for 14 to 28 days for kids younger than eight years old 50 milligrams per kilogram for two two pounds that's the dose for kids younger than eight years of age uh, some people also have used bird zithro or azithromycin, ZPAC. That's been mentioned as a second alternative. can be used in people that are allergic to penicillin family drugs. Now, Lyme disease can develop into a late-stage infection, especially if it's been a while, and even months later, you may start noticing not just the regular symptoms. Honestly, those probably would be done by the time two or three weeks or even a month goes by, but months or even years later, some people who have had Lyme disease will develop a chronic form of it. They have all sorts of weird and diverse symptoms. Neck pain and stiffness, severe headaches, multiple rashes away from the site of where the bite occurred, joint pain and swelling in knees and other joints, um, something called Bell's palsy, which is nerve damage that causes drooping on one side of the face. Some people develop irregular heartbeats, shortness of breath, uh, dizziness, shooting pains, numbness, tingling in the hands, feet, or face, uh, nerve-type symptoms. Uh, some people develop memory loss and things like that. And you'll find a lot of people 
have many of these diseases end up actually getting the diagnosis of chronic Lyme disease. Of course, a full evaluation is necessary because with all those symptoms could be a lot of other things as well. So that's the thing that's important. There's not a proven cure for chronic or late-stage Lyme disease. They are trying to develop vaccines and things like that, but we'll see as more research and development on chronic Lyme disease is done. An ounce of prevention, of course, a pound of cure, that's what it's worth. And this old saying goes when it comes to infections caused by tick bites. For prevention, consider wearing long pants and sleeves on the trail, thick socks and high-top boots. Remember to tuck your pants into the boots. Yeah, I should have done that at the beach. You did, but you didn't. <laughs> and look at you, got a bunch of little... Sand flea bites. That's right. <laughs> yeah, try to stay away from brushing up against the plants that are along the trail. Walk in the center of trails if you're on a trail. Of course, insect repellents like DEET, D-E-E-T, 20% concentration or greater. Put that on your skin. Oil of citronella works as well, as well as lemon eucalyptus, natural alternatives right. there. Actually, lemon eucalyptus is FDA approved. That's right. Exactly. Uh, you, for your clothing, uh, your hats, your shoes, camping gear, you can apply something called permethrin, P-E-R-M-E-T-H-R-I-N, 0.5%. It's a type of insecticide. And you put it uh, on there about 24 to 48 hours before using it. Uh, the proper application, by the way, will even withstand laundry if you do that. And it's very simple. You just read the instructions on the package. Do Make sure you apply that in a ventilated area because it can overwhelm you, I'll tell you. And hang the clothes to dry. That is important. And the most important thing, thorough exams after a day outdoors and pay special attention to your kids and dogs. They are at high risk for getting tick bites and you'll find a tick hanging off a dog, oftentimes inside a tear. So these are things that are important. So you got to pay close attention to the little things in life. And ticks are one of those little things. And that will make sure that your outdoor activities are healthy and hopefully memorable, well, in a good way. I will say one thing. Don't rely on feeling a bite. Because well, even my little bites, which are killing me and itching like crazy right now, didn't hurt for what the first 12 hours at least right they look much they, worse the next day they didn't hurt at all i had no itching in fact i didn't even have any redness there was no sign that i had a bite until the next day and that's from just that walking crazy. on the beach yep. yes sure enough and how do you feel right now oh my gosh horrible <laughs> <laughs> benadryl cream is a miracle <laughs> all right well there you go benadryl cream i guess calamine lotion would also help yes for this type of absolutely thing. and you just make sure you don't scratch those itchy areas oh. those bites because boy oh boy they can get infected when you open them up it's so much worse so i actually haven't opened any of them up it's a miracle <laughs> it's a miracle it is a miracle Speaking about miracles, we're talking about the miracle of birth. And sure enough, we are very proud to be members of the expert council of the Survival Podcast. Uh, Jack, our good friend Jack Spirko's Survival Podcast. And sometimes we get questions from his listeners. And this one is all about what birthing supplies should we have for emergency situations. And here's Nurse Amy to tell us all about that. 
Hey everybody, Amy Alton, an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife here. I'm also known as Nurse Amy of the survival medicine website doomandbloom.net and co-author of the survival medicine handbook, The Essential Guide for When Help is Not on the Way. Today's question for the expert council comes from John who writes, What equipment should be in my preps to deal with childbirth? Background, any group of people will have to deal with childbirth at some point whether it's a SHTF scenario or short-term collapse if the pregnancy is advanced or home births. Plus, it's a question I don't think I've ever heard asked on TSP. Regards, John Briggs. Well, John, the delivery of a baby is best accomplished with the help of an experienced nurse midwife or obstetrician. But those professionals will be hard to find in a collapse situation. If there is no chance of accessing modern medical care, it will be up to you to perform the delivery. This list includes some things that may need electricity, like the heating blanket, so weed out these items and use non-electrical alternatives if necessary. Here are most of the supplies you should have. Mattress cover, plastic sheeting, or a shower curtain. Cotton sheets to cover the plastic. The mom should not be laying on the plastic. Change the sheets if they get too wet from sweat, and remember your job is to keep her comfortable and not to argue with her in any way. Please don't annoy the person in pain. Extra pillows and plastic covers and pillowcases that she can position to make herself comfortable. Music she likes at a volume she wants. Soft food and lots of hydration. Gatorade and water depending on how sweaty she is and get some straws if possible to make it easier for her to drink in different positions. Let her have some honey straws for extra energy. Popsicles, again if you have electricity, and frozen Gatorade are good to suck on also. Let her get up and walk around as much as she wants. Trust her to trust her body. A space heater or fan as she requests so she can control the temperature. Use evaporative cooling compresses to cool her off if you don't have the electricity. If she's cold, get out extra blankets and put warm socks on her feet. Under pads, also known as chucks, to catch any leaks. These can be used during the birthing process or afterwards to keep the sheets cleaner. Heating pad or hot water bottle for the mom's back. Again, remember the hot water bottle is a non-electrical alternative. Tennis balls used under under her back are good for a massage to the muscles. An exercise ball is comfortable for a laboring woman to sit on and a good position to help the labor progress. Washcloths and towels to wipe off sweat. Create those cooling compresses for her forehead and neck. And also have a clean set ready for showering after the birth. Have a digital thermometer, manual blood pressure cuff and stethoscope for checking on mom. Digital pulse oximeter also for checking on mom. Non-sterile nitrile gloves for various sizes, which can be used for cleaning up the mother after delivery, changing the chucks, sheets, etc. Gauze sponges of different sizes like 4x4s, sterile. Hibiclin scrub brush is great to wash up your hands before putting on your sterile gloves to attend the birth. A bedpan in case she's too tired to get out of bed to go urinate. A mirror so the mom can see the baby's head and feel positive motivation to continue pushing. A standing light source or someone holding a strong light source so the attendee can see properly. EMLA cream, E-M-L-A cream, which stands for Eutectic Mixture of Local Analgesics. It's an anesthetic cream best applied at 6 to 7 centimeters dilated on a mom who's had previous babies and at 9 centimeters for a first-time mom. 
Make sure you wipe off this cream prior to the baby's head beginning to emerge as it can irritate the eyes of the baby. Use lubricating sterile jelly packets until the birth at this point. I just ordered some Emla cream on Amazon.ca, which stands for Canada, and I'll see if I actually get it delivered in supposedly four weeks. If you absolutely have to cut the perineum, which please, please do not do that. Just let nature take its course. But if you feel you have to because the mom is starting to tear the skin already, use a sharp scalpel. There's something called a tri-level blade, which generates a smoother, sharper, less traumatic incision. Again, please only use this if needed. You can use olive oil, get a four-ounce bottle prior to the head beginning to emerge for stretching the perineum so the person does not tear. Um, You may want to use this instead of the Emla cream. Have a two-ounce bulb syringe to suck out the baby's mouth and nose immediately after delivery. Put the baby directly on the mother's chest and cover them both with warm blankets or towels. Have two sterile clamps. Use one on the umbilical cord and then a few inches apart, put the second one on. Cut in between with sterile scissors. Place an umbilical clamp about an inch or so above the baby's belly button and cut off the extra cord above that clamp. There's no hurry to put the clamp just above the belly button at this point. Have a bunch of baby blankets. Have some infant hats that are 100% unbleached cotton two-ply. Get a peri bottle, a 16-ounce squirt bottle to be filled with clean water for cleaning off post-delivery and also when the mom goes to the bathroom and helps her clean up. Get some Hibiclin's antiseptic solution, about four ounces. It can be used to help clean up after delivery and before laceration or episiotomy repair. A suture kit with dissolving sutures such as 3-O-Chromic, and hopefully you can find some lidocaine. But a study did show that adequate relief was achieved if the Emla cream was applied prior to delivery, around the times that I was telling you earlier. Have some drawstring trash bags, 33 gallons a great. One can be placed at the end of the bed to help catch some of the delivery discharge. You might want to have a small trash container to put the bag over so everything stays in one place. Excessive post-delivery blood loss, especially without a working modern medical system, is a dire emergency that has caused tremendous loss of life throughout history, including still today in modern hospitals. So don't forget that. Learn the techniques for stopping postpartum hemorrhage if you have to attend a birth without a professional. There are several causes to postpartum hemorrhage and may require specific maneuvers to save her life. The number one rule after delivery of the baby is don't ever yank or pull hard on an umbilical cord attached to the placenta inside of a mom, ever. This is a really bad idea and even deadly consequences may follow. Let the body decide when it's time to separate the placenta from the uterus. I just want to remind you guys listening, and guys, I'm sure there's mostly men listening, that I am not telling you the step-by-step method on how to deliver a baby. I'm just throwing in some helpful hints and tips as we go through this list of supplies. If you want a detailed look about how to deliver a baby, you can find this detailed explanation on our third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook on Amazon. Amazon or go visit our store at doomandbloom.net. Perry cold packs or medium-sized instant ice packs are great. There are also some special OB pads that have instant cold packs inside of them. Get tux pads and a bottle of Dermaplast for pain relief down there. Have some maxi pads, a pad for medium to heavy after 
afterbirth flow. For afterbirth comfort and cleaning ease, use mesh panties that are latex-free, extra-large, made of nylon material. Get an infant paper tape measure for baby measurements. A foot printer, which is a print design that keeps inks off the baby's foot or the mother's finger. It provides three ink sections, two newborn feet, and one for mother's finger for a future proof of birth. Have gentle perfume-free baby bath wash, unscented baby wipes, baby diapers, disposable or cloth, baby socks, and cotton onesies, and some hydrogen peroxide, which cleans up blood really well on surfaces, and make sure you get a few bottles. I found this postpartum kit called Mama Koala Postpartum Pamper Kit. Might be something really good to have on hand. It has a donut, which is like a round rubber swimming tube for comfort and ease of sitting. Something called After Ease, which is a tincture to help afterbirth pains and cramping. An herbal afterbirth bath, which has herbs to soak in the tub. Burt's Bees Replenishing Flavor Lip Balm. A frigid bottle, which is just a version of a peri bottle. Repair Spray, which is like the Dermaplast, but it's a topical herbal spray to help with healing and tissues after birth. Arnica Tablets, uh, which are homeopathic tablets to help with swelling and inflammation. Something called New Mother Pads, which are natural. They're chlorine, perfume, and plastic-free postpartum pads. And another tincture called Baby Blues, which helps with emotional support and hormonal balancing. This is Amy Alton, an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife, also known as Nurse Amy, wishing you the best of health in good times or bad. Thanks for listening. Hey, besides getting a copy of our Survival Medicine Handbook, Don't forget to check out my entire line of medical kits and supplies at store.doomandbloom.net. You'll be glad you did. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.